good morning, Carpenter's Way. Merry Christmas. Is it too early? Merry Christmas. <laughs> hey, if you're in the room, we're going to do a bunch of Christmas carols today. You can stand and sing with us if you want to. You can stay seated and reflect, whatever you want to do. But yeah, we're just going to sing a bunch of Christmas songs, so let's just let's jump back in.
Throw that scripture up there, Kevin. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in all know this one really well. Let's sing this out, Silent Night.
Well, good morning, church. Good morning. What? I mean, you guys sang good. You always sing good, though, but man, that was great. We are dismissing all of our kids for a happy birthday Jesus party. And the, the screen says third grade, but it's actually through fifth grade today. So if you have a kid in that age group, they're going to go celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, in the Connection Center. If you're visiting with us and you uh, don't know about that, you can head on back, too, if you'd like your kids to go in there and meet them and, and uh, maybe get a little comfortable. But they are certainly welcome to sit in here and hear some phenomenal preaching. So, yeah. That was nice. Merry Christmas to me. You guys, you guys are awfully nice. Uh, Mark uh, Strong is going to make an announcement this morning. A couple things before we get into our text for today. Oh, Mark, why don't I let you start and then I'll... Good morning. Uh, just a reminder that today is the last day that we'll be collecting our staff love offering. So if you haven't had an opportunity to show your appreciation, there are some envelopes at the back as you go out. Just mark those love offering and drop them in the box, and we'll distribute those out this week. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, a couple of uh, housekeeping things. Uh, I wanted to remind you that we have some great Christmas celebration stuff coming up next Sunday. Uh, so I'm starting a three-week series this week on Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Uh, but next Sunday, it's going to be incorporated in what we call our annual family Christmas. Every year, the Sunday before Christmas, we do a one-hour service. And uh, we invite all the children in here. We invite them to be loud. We invite, I know, the moms are going to... I don't know, a extra eggnog next Sunday morning, you guys. But the rest of us, that's a joke. Uh, the rest of us, we don't mind. We, it's a family Christmas. We do lots of videos. We do lots of singing. And I'm going to bring a short two-and-a-half-hour message. It's going to be phenomenal. So, but that's next Sunday, so it's one hour. We don't have Bible study or anything else going on unless your Bible study leader has said otherwise next Sunday. So I want to encourage you to come out to that. It's a good Sunday to bring somebody. Uh, if you have family or friends that, uh, that don't have a church, they celebrate Christmas in. And then Christmas Eve, which again is on the 24th this year. I make that joke every year. Uh, it's at 6 to 6.30, we have our candlelight service. And this, uh, what we do is we just sing uh, Christmas carols, uh, we read scripture, the whole staff is involved up front, and uh, we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then we send you off to, uh, to go celebrate with your family for the rest of Christmas Eve. One of the things that we encourage families to do is, uh, if you have family coming in and have a dinner and you do your celebration, we do it at 6 to 6.30. It is 30 minutes long. Um, we do that so that maybe 
maybe between dinner and dessert you can come out and celebrate and maybe drive around and see lights after. Uh, but it's become a really good tradition and, and uh, we would encourage you to be a part of that. So um, that's all really the announcements I have for today. Um, so I want to pray because our kids are going to have a wonderful time. I want to pray that the Lord works in their hearts and that he speaks to us this morning uh, as well. Father God, thank you that you weren't just born 2,000 years ago and then left us to our own ways, but that you are intimately involved in the lives of your children and that you inhabit your children, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and within us, you reside and guide and direct. And, and uh, Lord Jesus, this is a season of worship, and we're thankful for that. But Lord, I think sometimes in the, in, in our, um, in the commonality of, of this holiday, in the songs, we don't necessarily think about what happened that day. And uh, Lord, I, I absolutely have been burdened down this week, um, wondering if I can communicate what you have been teaching me. And so I asked, Father, I know I don't have to because your Holy Spirit will on my behalf. So I just ask you to speak this morning and, and change the way we see the baby in the manger. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, you obviously like Christmas carols. And I do too, and the world likes them too. They play them on secular radio and on Hallmark movies. I don't know if you've noticed, but you have a love story about this guy who dated this girl in high school, and then she moved away to the city to make a billion dollars, and she's coming back to visit. This is every Hallmark movie ever made. And then she realizes the little town she left and the man she left is still good. And he owns the town. And then they get married. It's really amazing at the end when they finally fall in love. Which, by the way, for those of you who claim to hate Hallmark movies, you don't understand how it works. A Hallmark movie, you don't have to think during. Nobody's going to die. Even the dude who gets dumped is going to be grateful he's dumped. He's going to fall in love with Mrs. Claus, who all along was his high school sweetheart. It's just going to work. You're not going to have to fret. You can get up. You can get dessert. Go to the restroom. Come back and still see the same movie. It's, it's crazy. You don't have to pause it. But it is amazing that during the end, when they finally fall in love, and they're in front of that Christmas tree together, and as he's expressing his undying love, and she says, you know, I'm, I'm not leaving. I know you thought I was leaving. I'm not leaving. I was actually going back to New York City to quit my job so I could spend the rest of my life with you. They're playing, um, uh, you know, a, a Christmas song, you know, Away in the Manger. Has nothing to do with the story, but they like it. It's a romantic notion, and Christmas is a romantic notion, especially when you have the, the craziness of the world. And it hasn't just been this last two years. I remember growing up in San Diego, and, and in school, we had nuclear, I think I've told you this before, we had, uh, you know, during my growing up period in the 70s, that was during the, the, the Soviet Union was still intact, and there was a, the Cold War, and we weren't sure if they would ever drop a bomb, but we did know in San Diego they were going to nuke us. That was the naval headquarters. The, the Marines were there. And so I, I don't know whose idea it was. California is as crazy as you think, but they decided to do uh, nuke drills. I just want you to know that if a nuke hits San Diego, there ain't no drill to happen. There's no time. But we would get under our desk and they'd have us put our head between our legs kind of in the airplane and you kind of go, well, if, I guess we're kissing our rear end goodbye. I don't know, but that's what we did. But it's kind of crazy. But, uh, you know, we did those and it, it was, I don't remember where I was going with this, but it was kind of thoughtless. We do stuff thoughtlessly when, when there's some important stuff. And this holiday is super important in what we celebrate. I mean, that last song we just sang, it's actually calling us to drop to our knees. And as we were singing the other songs, all of, us, 
All of them declared that baby is Lord. All of them do. And all of them tell us to worship him, even Silent Night. It tells us to worship that babe. And we sing it, and, and I, I, don't know, um, I don't know that we think about it all that much. And I, this morning, um, I've I got to tell you, this is a, this is an, I've been struggling with this message this week because I just really want you to understand the depth of who this one is. So I, I need you just, we're going to kind of talk through it together this morning. I need you just to listen and, and let the Holy Spirit speak to you and just let it soak in. Um, do you ever wonder why we're told to drop to our knees in the song? I mean, I think, I, I think we know it here. But each of those songs tell us to. Um, do you ever understand why or think about why the wise men, obviously wealthy individuals from somewhere out east, we don't know where, some believe they were descendants of Daniel's uh, disciples, actually from the Iranian territory. We don't know. We don't even know really what they were. We knew that these men understood astrology, that they were intelligent and wealthy to travel that far. And what we also know is that they, they were believers because they followed the star which was prophesied in the Old Testament to where the Christ child was born. So we know all those things about them. But what we also know is that Jesus at this time, and forgive us because even at Carpenter's Way in the manger scene, and, and parents, let your kids crawl all over that. We'll buy new pieces if they break them. That's why it's in the middle. But, but when they're crawling on and they're riding the camel, would you sit down and whisper in their ear, this happened. 2,000 years ago, God was born so that we could be forgiven of our sin. Talk to them through the story. And I've seen that the last couple of weeks, and it's been so neat to see so many of you leaning over in the shoulder of your kid and kind of telling them the story. But having said that, out there the wise men are in the manger. In, in the original scene, it tells us that they were living in a house in Bethlehem at that time. The actual story tells us that it, Jesus would have, could have been up to two years' age at that time. We know that because the wise guys go and they meet with, they, they, they meet with the uh, Roman leadership and who is trying to find out who this future king of Israel is so he could kill him. And, 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 they, and, and when they realize the wise guys aren't coming back to tell him where the baby is, he has every child two years and younger killed. So Jesus might at that point have been a toddler. I, I just really want this to hit you between the eyes. I have a grandson that's a toddler. A toddler. I love that kid. I love him so much, especially when he goes, Papa, and then goes by me to his grandmother. She, he definitely likes her better, but he is so much fun, but I got to be honest with you, as much as I love him, I ain't bowing to that kid. In fact, he's going to bow to me. He's learned the word no, but it's so cute because it's not no, our grandson goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's cute. And I'm going, yes, 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 yes. But I am not bound to that kid. These wise guys, these wealthy guys, carrying gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and there weren't three. There might have been 50 or one, or more than one, two. We don't know. But it says when they saw the Christ child, they actually bowed before him. What's crazy is the Greek says they bowed in humble worship of this one. And, and I, I, I mean, like I said, I'm trying to picture what it would be like for Hannah and Zach, my daughter-in-law and son, to have somebody knock on the door and come in and offer presents to Sam and bow before him. Even, even funnier is what would Sam have done? He'd have hu hu hugged his dad's leg, right? 
holding on to Zach or to Hannah or, or jump in her arms or gone Mimi to his grandmother and held on because he doesn't know what's going on. He's just a toddler. And I think it is reasonable to believe that Jesus probably did that. We, we sort of think that he was a baby that had the brain of a 40-year-old or God. And the truth is, I can't figure it all out. In theology, it's called the hypostatic union. It just means that he's 100% God and 100% man. And when he was a toddler, he was 100% toddler. Think about that. I, I ask you again, and we talked about this Wednesday night. I have no idea how a mom of God disciplines God. I don't know, man. I, I, realizing that one can send you to hell is probably... <laughs> You know, and of course he never sinned, and you can't pull off the line. You think you're perfect, don't you? <laughs> Why, mom? As a matter of fact, I do. I mean, it's just so weird. It's such a weird thing, and I, I, I just, I just think we forget that that baby was God. I mean, God, God, like, like God, 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 like capital G, capital O, capital D. That infant. She gives birth, and that's God. She feels him dancing in her belly. It's God. And it, it isn't just us in the songs that should bow. Luke chapter 2 tells us about Anna and Simeon being overwhelmed at the presence of this eight-day-old baby. And let me read it to you, and I'm going to go through a lot of Scripture today. It was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required by the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. Um, for those of you who don't know context or culture, uh, that tells us how poor they were. This wasn't a sheep, sheep lamb. This was turtle doves or pigeons, which were worship, dedication, offerings for the poor. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him, the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity, that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. What day? On the eighth day when Jesus was going to be circumcised and given his name. So that's what the Jews did. On the eighth day, they would dedicate their child to the Lord, give him a name, and a brisk would take place. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby to Jesus, to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now your servant can die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Why? Because even though the angels met with Mary and Joseph, that's still the little squirt baby whose diapers needed to be changed. I mean, I absolutely... Okay, so I said this Wednesday night, so bear with me, and I, I don't want to ruin all, all your joy, but I love the song that, that uh, the humor, the com comedian Mark, whatever, wrote, Mary, Did You Know?, but every time I hear it, Mark Lowry, every time I hear that song, I want to stand up in the crowd and go, yes, she knew. The angel told her. And if she forgets, her husband was told. Okay, so quit, quit asking, Mary, did you know that your baby boy? Yeah, yeah, I knew. Kind of a dumb question. Again, we're not too often thinking. It's a fine song, but it's just like, yeah, she knew. But I don't think she really, really grasped it. I mean, how could you? How could you 
look at that baby moms and go, oh, that's God. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, how do you do that? And the truth is you don't. You do the best you can. And it says in what I just read that, it, that even Mary, they just kind of watched and they were amazed at what was going on. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Well, thank you, Simeon. Here's my present to you, Mary. This is going to be a difficult life. But he was right, wasn't he? Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temp temple. Uh, she was the daughter of Phanuel uh, from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow at the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. So picture this in your mind's eye, and the chosen helps us a little bit. So you got, you got this woman who's always in the temple. Since her husband died, uh, you may or may not remember those who went through the study of Acts with us. They talked about how the, in the temple they would hire widows who were older. And they would have them pray all day. She was one of those widows indeed. They took care of her. So her job was to pray and meet with the Lord every day. And as she's walking through the temple, she looks up and she sees Simeon talking to Joseph and Mary. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So now you're starting to get the hint that this wasn't just a Savior. This was actually God. She begins talking and praising him. Oh, look, that's God rescuing Jerusalem. The word Advent actually is a Latin word from Adventus. It means the coming, the expectation. And it is, it, we believers, followers of Yahweh, we try really hard every year to non-commercialize. You do, I do. Um, I actually enjoy some of the commercialization. I like that people try to be kind this type of the year, time of the year. I like the sales. My daughter, who graduated with her master's degree yesterday, somebody whooped. It wasn't from A&M. It was SFA. What is it? It's not a whoop. It's a chop, 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 I guess. I don't know. But she graduated with a master's um, I'm not. I've seen the bumper stickers. They're totally inappropriate. The, but Anna graduated with a master's. My daughter, master, she's going to get a CPA license, God willing, in the next year. She, so drill her on it. You know what she does? The first thing she does? She doesn't go to Disneyland. She buys herself a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> Are you really excited about that? That's the most ridiculous gift ever. I'm, I'm not going to. She could have bought herself a really sweet calculator. But she bought herself a Nintendo Switch. My 25-year-old son, Zach, who is the father of my grandson, husband to my daughter-in-law, bought himself a Christmas gift of a Nintendo Switch too. I have raised godly, intelligent infants. <laughs> this is, again, I don't remember what the heck I was going to say about that. I mean, you anticipate Christmas. We want the feeling. We want, and so we try to watch Hallmark movies that have the music and the simplicity because we want to resurrect what they must have been feeling. But I want you to know that there were people awaiting the arrival of God, of the Messiah, or at least someone God would send from the prophet Daniel and Isaiah and others that was going to come and they thought redeemed the nation. 
They thought that he would be a nationalistic figure, this one in the manger. And so there was a lot of excitement that now God is going to redeem them. And even, even Herod thinks that this infant is a threat to his reign. That's why he tries to kill him. That's why he kills all the children two years and younger. But what Simeon and Anna do was bow. And that really is the proper response for the wise men, for worshipers. When the angel was talking to Joseph, it was, a, it was clear the identity of this baby. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break off the engagement quietly. As he was considering this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived of by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now up to this point, to be fair, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can be saying, okay, pastor, you keep saying this is God, but up to now it just says he's a savior. So up to now you haven't proven that he's God. Well, the angel doesn't stop there. It tells us in verse 22 that all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This infant Savior, this Messiah that God sent, wasn't just someone sent, it was God himself. God himself. For those of you who think Jesus was just a sweet baby or a good man or a great philosopher or merely a prophet, because Simeon and Anna and the wise guys were not waiting for a teacher or for a, for a philosopher, because even the angel themselves explained who this child would be, this was prophesied up to 800 years before his birth that this would be God himself. They were not awaiting a philosopher, a teacher, a good man. Oh, they were not even waiting for a military leader. They were awaiting the arrival of God to come to earth and walk among us to rescue and save us. The baby born in a barn was God. That baby born in a barn laid in a manger. We were singing that this morning and the scripture says, actually the scripture we read this morning said it. Does anybody know why he had to be laid in a, in a, in a manger, a feeding trough for, for animals? Because that was a prophecy. And it actually says to the shepherds, this is how you'll know who he is. There's no other babies in all of Bethlehem or the region that are laid in a manger this morning. So when you find that baby, you found God. And by the way, he's going to be wrapped in, 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 in cloth. Rip, just ripped piece of cloth. I mean, this, this was God, the redeemer of Israel, the forgiver of sin, the one who came to die on the cross for our sin. It seems to be being forgotten right now, even in churches, that he didn't just come to hang out with us. He actually came to solve our problem. And that's what Anna and Simeon say. That's what the angel says. Everybody bows before him when they understand his identity. That was God. And in the next three weeks, that's the title of the series, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's what I want to talk about. Because, and I'll, I'll give you the end of the story two weeks from now. I know that that puts us to the Sunday 26, which is the day after Christmas. 
That's because while we try to get that feeling of Advent by doing Advent studies and by buying gifts and by listening to music, while we try to get that feeling back, I want to make it clear, there is a second Advent coming. You don't have to fake it for a month. There is an Advent coming. And I actually believe the church has lost her hope in that. We don't even think about it. If you believe in the return of Christ, His imminent return, if you believe that God is going to come and solve the problems of the world, you are either not, you are called not conservative enough or you are called a flaming prophetic freak. And I want you to know that I think Satan is in that because that is our hope. That is our hope. Our hope is not a conservative government. Our hope is not a better America. Our hope is not the defeat of socialism. Our hope is not more weapons. Our hope is not a stronger army. It is the return of Christ. What we long for, my friends, no money problems, better health, whatever, all that things, whatever it is you long for, relationships that aren't broken, that is called heaven, where sin is gone. That's what we long for. It's what I long for. But to wait for our hope, we have to understand that God has a plan and at just the right time, he's working it out just like he did here. God. I want to talk about God for a few minutes. In Genesis 1.1, you are familiar with this text. But this is what we know of God. This is a very significant verse. Your brains just now went to, oh, creation. But, but I... I just want to say that this verse is not about creation. This verse introduces you to God. Before creation, before anything you ever saw, any air was ever breathed, before anything you ever thought about was thought about, before any of that, before the beginning, God was there. God. The baby in the manger. Before the beginning, that baby was around. How do I know that? Because in the beginning, what we call the beginning, which in this verse is a time in history, well, how do you know it was the beginning? Well, it really wasn't the beginning. It was the beginning of us. It was the beginning of the human story. But before the human story, in the beginning, God was. And what's interesting about this text is it doesn't defend him. It doesn't prove his existence. It just says he was. And he was, so he was there to create the heaven and the earth. In fact, that's not the only place. Look at Colossians chapter 1. And this is so instructive to our life right now. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and supreme over all of creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. Remember that old question, uh, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, can it be heard? Does it make any sound? It's a dumb question because nobody in philosophy class can answer it because nobody's heard a tree in the forest where nobody's around, right? This verse says it makes sound. The things you can't see. Are there, are there creatures at the deepest parts of the ocean that have never been named? Yes. Does that prove evolution? I don't know, but it proves the existence of a complete God, a holy one, a one who does everything. Somebody may say to me, well, the earth is 10 billion years old. I say back, well, in order for God to make creation work, he had to build it with age into it. Trees had to be full because through that we can breathe oxygen. But the fact remains that something started this. His name is Yahweh. Jehovah. God. The baby in the manger. That's the one who started it. 
Verse 17. He existed before anything else. And actually, present tense, he holds all creation together. If you sit with a scientist or a doctor and you ask them what keeps things together, what keeps things spinning, you'll end up with an atom. If you open up the atom, split the atom, which would be a very dangerous thing because we get atomic explosions, but if you split the atom, in the middle of the atom is a nucleus. In the middle of the nucleus, you have two powers, a positive and a negative, and for some reason, they keep spinning. If you were to ask the scientist, the doctor, the smart person, what causes that to keep getting its energy and hold together, they will say, I don't know. Well, this tells us that God does. The baby in the manger. For nine and a half months, Christ, inside of the womb of a virgin, was holding everything together because he's God. Oh, I don't understand. How can an infant in the womb hold everything together? He's God. He can do anything he wants. See, see this is, now, now you're getting into it. Okay, this is a little bit boring. It's not. I want you, this is, this is what I've been thinking about the last month or two. Julie and I have been talking about it, and I've been thinking about this this last week. I asked our Bible study to pray for me. How do I explain that that baby in the manger we sing so flippantly about, that we have uh, our scenes that we make out of peanuts and, 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 and put little things on its head? I, I get it. That was God. God, God, God. The one who created all this. It wasn't just some random prophet coming along. That was God. And, and to be clear, it wasn't, we, we have Simeon worshiping, we have Anna worshiping, we have the angels worshiping, right? We have, uh, we, have uh, I, we could go on, but, but they're not the only ones who worship. Do you know who else worshiped the baby in the manger? Hebrews 1 tells us, verse 8, to the son, he referring to God the Father, if you read a little bit before, says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you. For those of you who think Jesus was just a good man, a good teacher, a nice guy, a philosopher, this actually says in Hebrews chapter 1 that the Father that we're comfortable with being God, actually bows down and calls him God and worships him. Your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. He also says to the Son, verse 10, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. So let's pause for a second. My apologies to the chosen Christmas special. It's fine. But the beginning of the story was not the birth of Jesus. That's what they inferred over and over and over again. This was the beginning of something. No, it wasn't. I want to remind you that Jesus existed since before the beginning began. And this actually has us right here. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing, but you are always the same. You will live forever. So to be clear, Jesus, where Hebrews also says is the same yesterday, today and forever. He was the one who spoke into existence everything that exists. He's the one who thought it up. He's the one before the beginning. So my apologies to modern Christendom that sort of acts like the story began in the manger. I just want to say that the prophecy it was the beginning. Actually, the prophecy was just a declaration of something God had planned before the world began. It tells us in Ephesians that before the beginning began, God had a plan to redeem mankind. That plan was told to, the, uh, to uh, Eve, Adam's wife, 
that through her line, a Savior would be born that would crush Lucifer's head. And I want to tell you that throughout the Old Testament, you have Jesus actually inter interacting with humanity. I remind you, he walked in the cool of the garden every day with Adam and Eve. I remind you that Cain, when he was about to sin, was confronted by God and said, do the right thing. I remind you that he was given the, uh, that Noah was given the exact uh, design of the ark to build it. I remind you that Abraham walked with Jesus and argued with him about a couple towns called Sodom and Gomorrah. I remind you that Abraham, in the middle of the night, wrestled with God. I remind you that Ray Jacob wrestled with Jesus. Do not believe that the baby began, or Jesus began in the manger. Jesus always was. That baby in the manger is God. God, God, God. Well, I don't like to read the Old Testament because the Old Testament is a mean God. The New Testament's sweet. Same God. Same one. I don't know why I do that voice. I don't. I do it, every time I do it, I end up wondering, why do you do that voice? I don't know. Same God. And even God himself, the Father, bows and worships him. The Trinity worships the Trinity. We think of the baby in the manger and we... Let, let me use another example. We, we do this, and, and again, I'm kind of rolling out of the pocket because I'm, I'm trying to explain what God has been hitting me between the eyes with lately. It's funny, we were talking yesterday, periodically since my Karen and my dad moved here, a lot of people try to find out, what's Mark really like? I, you get the same guy up here and out there. And I am humbled that I get to preach God's word. And th this is an overwhelming message for me because I'm trying to declare to you the holiness of that baby in the manger, and I, I don't even get it myself. I'm overwhelmed by it. I take advantage of his grace just about every couple minutes. You know what I mean by that? I'm, I'm unworthy to be up here this morning, and I'm very humbled by it. But it's true nonetheless, no matter who the messenger is. I made a joke at the end of last week's message that if God used a donkey in the Old Testament, and I used the other word, if God used a donkey in the Old Testament, he'll use one of the new. So I want you to listen to the truth and not just me. There are many of us here who say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God to explain why he took my husband or why my child died or this. Let me tell you, Scripture has a lot of stories in it, and it gives us an idea of what it's like to face God, God. Isaiah 6 is one of those examples. In Isaiah 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 1, it says, It was the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I, I did a lot of looking at King Uzziah because I wanted to lay this out for you. There's not a lot of deep information on this guy, but the bottom line is, is he reigned over Israel for 52 years. It appears that he, he reigned in the Hebrew nation of Judah and was rel relatively successful by worldly measurements. 52 years of reigning at this period of history was a long, long time. But he was not faithful to God. And towards the end, it was the belief that because he was unfaithful to God, God gave him worms and that ended up killing him. But here's the interesting thing about this. And I, I'm with you in the study of Scripture, okay? I, I know I went to seminary and all that stuff. That doesn't mean anything. I get bored of the same boring texts, okay? So let me begin by that. And one of my least favorite parts of the Bible are the, uh, are the lineages. Or how about in Chronicles where it lays all the kings out? <sighs> I discovered something in the last two weeks. Those are actually kind of cool. You know why? Because the point isn't who reigned. 
The point is that there was one who re whose reign never ended. David came and went. Isaiah came and went. Ruth came and went. Esther came and went. Dave, uh, you, we go around. Daniel came and went. Uzziah came and went. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. You see, there's one constant throughout all history and before history began, and it will be after history is over. There's one constant, and that is the existence of this God, of the baby in the manger. Every time you read the lineage, you should remember that there is one that overruled and reigned over all of these people, whether good or bad, and that is Jesus Christ. God. First, second, and third member of the Trinity. He's the constant. He's the constant. And, and when it starts this text, he says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In other words, the Lord was. The Lord wasn't just there in the beginning when everything had a beginning, but he is here while Uzziah reigns. The same one who spoke everything into existence, Isaiah is now looking at. And let me try to explain to you what he looked like, readers. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Just try to imagine that. We've all been to weddings, and we've watched even English weddings where the train just is huge, and they have all these attendants to help with the train of, of her beautiful gown. But this gown actually filled the temple. Filled it from side to side, front to back. What he was wearing absolutely filled the temple. Attending him weren't just people, but mighty seraphim, each having six wings. And with two wings, they covered their faces. That's a that's honor, that's humble, that's bowing. With two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, and that's very important. They were speaking to each other, and what were they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This is the baby in the manger, manger nearly 800 years before he's, he's implanted into the womb of a young virgin from a small no-name town called Nazareth. This was Jesus. And when I, Isaiah sees him seated on a throne in heaven, attended by fierce angels, this idea again, and I, and I do believe that Satan uses it. I don't know if it's satanic, but he uses it. This, this idea, do you ever look at the little angels on your tree or the angels in, in, in cards or the angels that the world presents out there? Do you ever think that the angels look at that and go, they have us so wrong? We just read a passage of Scripture where it says that the first thing that Gabriel says to the shepherds is, don't be afraid. Do you know why he said that? Because they had all just soiled their gowns. When you see an angel, it's like, oh, Cupid. It's majestic. They're awesome. They're powerful, and they are at war every moment of every day with Lucifer. Have you read the book of Daniel? There's a spiritual war that is going on outside of our lives that we don't see that is so true. They are waging war, and the enemies are fierce. In fact, it tells us in Daniel that they actually held the angel of the Lord up from answering Daniel's prayer. These are fierce angels, and they're flying around, and, and, and Isaiah sees them, and they are calling to each other, holy, 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 and that's a word that we don't get. It was in a couple songs we sang this morning. What does holy mean? It doesn't mean perfect. It means different, set apart, like nothing else. It's the most perfect word. There's a lot of things, okay, I have to say this carefully. There are a lot of attributes or characteristics of God that we can take on. As the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, 
patience. Those are all characteristics of God. Those are all of his attributes. But there is one we will never attain if it wasn't imputed on us, and that is holiness. Unless it was given to us, unless it was thrust upon us, we will never be holy. And the word holy just means set apart. It's the same Greek word comes from that means, that means sanctuary. It means this is set apart for a very unique purpose. Well, this God is like none other. And, and it's crazy because that baby in the manger was him. There is no one like the one on the throne. There was no one like the one in the, in the manger. He is powerful yet gentle. This holy one is merciful and yet judgmental. Let me be clear. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That baby in the manger that's so cuddly and soft and loving and humble is also going to judge that's what's so crazy. You don't have to be judged. You just have to call in the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Those are verses. He's mercy and yet judgmental. He's relational. He invites us to approach his throne boldly in Hebrews. And yet he's unknowable. He is perfection. And yet he's humble. He is to be worshipped. And yet he's approachable. He is sovereign and yet offers free will. He was born and yet he always was. He was, he has always been, and he is holy. There is nobody like our God. If you are not a follower of this God, let me be clear. There is no man-made religion that has God wanting to redeem you enough to die for your sin. I've got one criticism, and I didn't know if I would say this, but I have one criticism of the chosen Christmas special. They didn't mention sin once. And if Jesus comes just to hang out with me, they're missing the fact that he has already done that throughout history he didn't come to be with you. He came to redeem you so that you could be adoptable by his dad. This judge doesn't want to judge you. And he didn't come to save you even from sin. He came to save you from himself. God is the judge. We are his enemies. Unless we allow him to take our sin in his body on the cross by accepting his gift. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave the first gift, his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but can have eternal life. So Isaiah continues in verse 4, their voices shook the temple. To its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. So those of us who want to ask God a question about why our life went the way it is, here's what you have to live through first. Then I, and remember, Isaiah's a prophet, so he's had interaction with God. Then I said, it's over. 
I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people who have filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it, and he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Your guilt is removed, and your sins forgiven. There will be no questions as to God's plan when we get to heaven. There will only be seeking of his mercy and his grace and the reception of it by those who have called on the name of the Lord. Can, can we, I just want to pause because I think you need to understand that there's only one other time in history in the scriptures where you have somebody facing God in his glory and that is John in Revelation chapter 1 when he sees God in his glory. And do you know what he does as well? While the angels are shouting, it's the only other place in Scripture where they are shouting out, holy, 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 to each other. So that's a constant theme in heaven. Angels telling each other that God is holy, holy, holy. It says that John fell down as a dead man too, and God said, you're not dying today, son, because I, I hold death and the keys of death and life. That's what you do when you see the baby in the manger. That's what you do when you see him face to face. That's what it looks like. And it wasn't just angels that bowed. It isn't just God that bows to Jesus' throne. It isn't just all these characters. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, it actually tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The truth is, every man, woman, and child who has ever been, who has ever been thought of, who has ever conceived won't be given a choice to bow. You will bow whether your knees are broken because he's God or because you think he's worthy of worship. Even if you're an atheist this morning, you will bow. I think the church has forgotten this. We've, we've turned ourselves into some sort of doctrinal debate where we can recreate God a way that we find a, appealing and a pleasing as if God changes based upon our doctrinal whims. That baby in the manger is God, and his truth is the only truth that matters. Well, my truth is, nobody cares about your truth. Well, I care about my truth. Well, my advice, my friend, is bow at the manger. The only truth that matters is him. We had a student uh, retreat a couple of months ago, and we had a pastoral panel, and a bunch of us were sitting up front, and the very first question, and I thought it was a really good one, the very first question asked was by a student and said, how do we know God is good and Satan is bad? How do we know it's not flipped? Very good question. And I would just like to say it really doesn't matter. You bow to the one that's going to win. We act like we have to make God good. You don't have to make him anything. God is. Fortunately, he is merciful and righteous and just and worthy of our worship. Fortunately, he is loving and he's holy and he's different than any other God who's ever been thought up. But the but the truth is, we will bow whether he is or not. So bow now. And that baby in the manger is that God. Do you know that there's a passage in Scripture, and I'm only going to read some of it, and, and Kevin, you don't, you don't have this part, because I, I wanted just to read it. Do you know that there's a passage in Scripture where a faithful man of God actually gets to ask God a couple questions about why his life has turned south? Do you know that? His name was Job. And let me, let me read for you God's response. <laughs> You're laughing. You've obviously read this. For those of you who want to wrestle with me this morning, and doctrinally those of you online, those of you who think, oh, you know, he's just a Baptist. I'm not. You can ask any Baptist. I'm not really good at that. This is what God says 
to a person questioning him. The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, whirlwind, not whirlwind, whirlwind, Job 38. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, Job. Because before I answer your question, I have some, answer, I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much, who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying lines? What supports the foundations of the earth? What makes it float? What supports its foundation? Who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside of its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores, I said, this far and no farther. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east, Job? <laughs> At this point, you're probably going, sorry. I mean, think about these questions. These are great questions. They're fair questions for God. God is saying, before I answer your question, little man, why don't you answer these questions for me? We'll keep going. Have you ever made daylight spread, the, spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to tonight's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Yo, Job, where's that water come from? Have you ever explored the depths of the ocean? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter doom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? <laughs> I love it. Tell me about it if you do. At which I think God got quiet for like five minutes and Job just went, where does light come from? Where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this. For you were born before it was all created and you are so very experienced. Apparently, Yahweh's got a sarcastic tone. But we're laughing because every one of us at one time or another go, how can you allow that? These are the answers to that. Who makes the rain fall on barren land in a desert where no one lives? Who sends the rain to satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass spring up? Does the rain have a father? I love that. No, how do you know? Do you remember? I remember in science class in college learning what makes wind. Do you guys remember that? Remember seeing it on History Channel or Science Channel? You know what makes wind, le uh, wind go? Leaves. <laughs> How do I know that? Because I've never seen the wind blow without the leaves moving. That's kind of who we are as people. That's a d you both, you're laughing at me because it's so stupid, but you're going to walk out of here going, well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've really never seen the wind. It must be that. must be the cause and effect. The truth is, who knows what it is? Well, the, uh, the, the earth warms up, and then the sky's cold, and it comes together, and it makes wind. Why does that make wind? Because it does. God's got the answer to that question. Well, with global warming, the oceans are rising. They may actually climb in the next 150,000 years two feet. That's apparently as devastating. All I know is I've been watching houses go into the ocean since I was a little boy in Southern California. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm simply, and I'm not saying it's not true. I'm simply saying that we are so arrogant that we have decided to worship science instead of God. 
Our, our, our quest is now, yes, enjoy Jesus in the manger at Christmas, but make sure you understand science to stay alive. Do you realize God's got our days numbered? I, I could go on and on. You guys know this. You should read it. Read it. It's a wonderful Christmas passage. I mean, it is. And, 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 and he goes on and on for three more chapters. And he says, do you still want to argue in chapter 40? Then the Lord says to Job, I'm jumping forward, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are a great, you are God's critic. But do you have any answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I'm going to cover my mouth with my hand. I have said so, too much already. I have nothing more to say. And the truth is he only said one thing. That's what's interesting. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind again. Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. And he goes on and on and on. And the problem is, he asks questions like, where's the snow kept before it falls? Who keeps the hail? Why does it rain? Where does rain come from? And we can all go, clouds? I mean, we forget who we are in light of this one. All of that is for us. And you know what's funny is most of us raised our kids that way. You didn't explain how a drill works to your kids. You just taught them how to use it. Because truth is, you don't really know how a drill works. I mean, there's electricity or battery power. It just... Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. They were guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified. <laughs> I'll bet. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior. Yes, the Messiah. The Lord himself. He has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. This is the dumbest sign for a king ever. This is so stupid, it's almost unbelievable. It almost makes you doubt whether that's God is, doesn't it? You will find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Not floating above it. Not in a king's robe. But in a manger. Suddenly the angel... So here's the real story. There was only one. He was then joined by a vast host of others. The what of heaven? A bunch of little naked cherubs with arrows. The armies of heaven were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Not peace on earth. This is why... I talked about this last week. This is why it's so offensive when we just say peace. That baby brings peace. If that was God's goal, let me be the first to say he failed. There have been more wars over religious differences than anything else. I'll admit it, but I'm not a religious person. I'm not here to fight for Baptist doctrine or assemblies of God or evangelical doctrine. I just want to know the one in the manger because that was God. I just want to study a scripture with you and I will align myself to scripture, not with tradition. Because that's all that matters. Brothers and sisters, do not hold on to the hope of pre-tribulation rapture unless you read it in Scripture. Do not hold on to the hope of a government that fits your agenda. You hold on to Jesus. If it gets nasty today or tomorrow or the day after, that baby in the manger that came humbly, 
He is God. And every knee will bow. Democrat, Republican, Marxist, Socialist, every knee will bow. By will or broken ankle or knee. Because he's God. And he hasn't changed who he is. He just wrote himself into history as he promised he would way back in the Old Testament. He wrote himself into history to redeem anybody who knew they needed redeeming. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to, the, to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. And they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. Matthew 1, 22 through 23, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is now with us. Behold your God.
hearts of sinful men. God eternal, humble to the grave. Jesus, Savior, risen now to your God, the baby. That's such a weird picture, and I know it was probably a stone wall, and think about that. Think about the humility of our God. He's holy, and we will all face him one day. But for those who are his children, whose sin he has removed, it tells us that we can boldly approach his throne. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin so that you might be called the children of God. But Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to my Father except through me. I'm the gate. There's no other way. And peace is only found in a relationship with God because this life is going to throw you curveballs and sometimes the ball is going to hit you right in the forehead. But when God owns the game and made the ball in the field, you don't have to be afraid. There's hope. So as you spend the next two weeks thinking about the baby in the manger, and I know you will, just remember it wasn't just about a baby. 
He had visited us before. This was the time he came to be the Lamb of God that would remove the sin of the world. Lord Jesus, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. We love you, Lord, but I think we probably need to bow a little bit more. I know I do. And I pray that today would make my willful sin just a little bit harder when I realize what you did for me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for being willing to give up all of that you deserve, the worship and the glory, in order to come in the form of a human servant to die on the cross for our sins so that we could worship you, that we could be called your kids, we could have a right relationship with you, and we don't have to live in fear. Merry Christmas, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.